0: One, two, three, and the place to be is your boy Talib Kweli. I'm the host of the People's Party. Welcome to another edition. As you see, I switched up my location. We are still in lockdown. I'm still rocking with the wonderful, the talented, the lovely Jasmine Lee. Give it up for my co-host of People's Party, Jasmine Lee. What's up Jasmine, how you doing? What's up, where in the world is Talib Kweli? I am at the person who we are about to interview's home. And let me tell you about this home. Boy, is it a spectacular home. Boy, am I having a good time here. Boy, is this person's (laughs) house so comfortable and so suited to me. Because it's one of my best friends. It's one of the most powerful, inspirational, influential people in my life. She is a poet. She is a picture of power. Everything about her is powerful. From Detroit, where she grew up at, to the words that she chooses. She is the author of many books. The words don't fit in my mouth alphabet versus the ghetto god is not an american sunlight through bullet holes and right now she has a new book out called we want our bodies back mm. she's worked with myself she's worked with nas she's worked with young jeezy she is an apollo legenda. and when you say that you have to say it with the extra duh after the d you have to say apollo legend she she worked on on stages like Carnegie Hall, Lincoln Center she owns her own publishing company and she did this early in the game, Uh more black press a visionary, fiercely independent her album Black Tea The Legend of Jesse James I put out on my label Devotee Media, man it's one of my favorite albums on the planet she loves black people she loves the word, give it up for my homie my stromy, Detroit's own Jessica Caremore
1: we got a snap for this one Peace and love. Hello. Hello. What's up, Jasmine? I'm so excited to be doing this in my crib. Thank you and welcome to crib. my home in Detroit. Listen. I'm home, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. I think you're like my first person that has allowed to be this close to me. So um, oh, wow. I trust you a lot and I love you so much, Talib, and I appreciate <laughs> you. And I've been looking for my chance to be on Up Rocks. you know, I was like, well, can I get on? can I get on the <laughs> podcast? And so for you to come to Detroit to do this um, means a lot to me. So I appreciate you both. Thank you.
0: Well, you know, I took the COVID test. I took the antibody test to see if I had the antibodies before I came to see you and your oh, son. Oh, yeah. You know, I want to yeah. just oh, wow. come out. Yeah, I want well, to just only
1: come in. We know. <laughs> right. You know, I appreciate it. It's, it's been real deep here and being safe. I've been real. This is the most I've been on the ground. I'm sure you too, like not being on planes, has yeah. been real interesting. My life has changed mm-hmm. a lot in the last three months.
0: Yeah, same with me. I'm enjoying not having to be on a plane. This is the longest I've been on the road for 20 years. And this is the longest mm-hmm. from, uh, I guess, same. from March. Till now is the longest time in the last twenty years where I haven't done a show or been on a stage or yeah. been on a plane, and this wow. is a different, a Same. different feeling. Same. yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's just it's really bugged out, actually. Um, I'm adjusting, but you know, mm-hmm. these are the times that they need uh, MCs like you. They need uh, radical thinkers. They need revolutionary thought, and this, these are things that we've been talking about our entire career. Um, but now, because people, other people now are joining in the conversation with us, um, we're I guess uh, needed, and it's good. It's good to be needed, right. um, and it's good for people to be amplifying voices that really need to be amplified anyway, um, because we're usually poets. Generally, are at the pulse of what's happening mm-hmm. with community, which makes us right. different than other
0: artists. I think. Now, what makes Detroit different different than a lot of cities is the just just sheer blackness of the city, and how yeah. there's a lot. Uh, of you know, there's just a, a lot of black people here who, you know, the city was. I don't, I forget the percentage of, the uh, but Detroit has an unusually high percentage of black people, right?
1: Oh, we're like 80, eighty-five to ninety percent black still, even wow. with gentrification. Yeah. We're still, we still blackity black. And um, I live in historic Boston Edison's, a historic black neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Um, Aretha Franklin grew up across um, down the street. Smokey Robinson grew up in the same neighborhood. You know, this is where the black middle class um, bought homes back in the day. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so we still have a strong black middle class. We have a working class population here Mm -hmm. that's very strong, um, white and black. Um, But we're predominantly black city. If you just stay in the one area gentrified downtown where they call Midtown, you won't know that. But if you go in the neighborhoods, that's where the black people are. So we in the west side, we're on the east side. We in the southwest We've got a strong Mexican community here in the southwest um, Mexican village. I used to live in that neighborhood, and so I am yeah, because I grew up in such a very a rooted in blackness, a black nationhood kind of space, um, I, when I moved to Brooklyn, New York was very different for me. I saw more white police than I ever had seen in my whole life. Because uh, we actually here in Detroit, which is different than other cities, that we have black policing. We don't, you know, in the last five years, it's gotten not as, it's not as great as it used to be, but Maricoma Young, I'm a Maricoma Young baby. So when people say they're a Maricoma Young baby, that means they came up to, with a mayor that was cussing everybody in the media out, that was desegregating fire departments and police departments. He and made it, so we created the rule here in Detroit, Maricoma Young, that you had to live in Detroit to be a police officer in Detroit. Oh, and so wow. I grew up with black teachers, black council people, and Maricoma Young was my only mayor. I only knew black mayors. Mayor Duggan is our mayor now, but that's the first. White mayor I've seen my entire life, <laughs> and, um, and I'm grown. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, Detroit is like a, a, a sp- I mean, Martin Luther King did I have a dream here first. I mean, it's we've been on the front line of rebellions and organizing, and you know, even in strong black music and literary arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we're not we're not as big as New York, right? And so we're mm-hmm. different from New York, we're different from California. And so sometimes we get overlooked. But if you're talking about black culture, Detroit has to be in the conversation. Now, how has that impacted your art personally? Well, it's, it completely made me who I am. I was, you know, As you know, I have a really strong relationship with my father growing up. So mm-hmm. uh, when I moved to Brooklyn in 1997, I had a lot of, I came with a lot already. I came very um, focused on institution building, even though I didn't know what I was gonna build, but I started building more black press in 1997. Um, after I won the, I came to New York and won the Apollo, got well known doing that. And then started the publishing house and I published my first book, The Words on Fit in My Mouth. Published Saul Williams, um, The Seventh Octave. And that's because I'm from Detroit. And that's because, you know, they said that term, Detroit hustles harder. Like, we really, mm-hmm. nobody gives us anything in Detroit. Like, I, nobody, there weren't like 200 open mics. It wasn't trendy. When I was reading poetry, I was reading at hair shows. I was reading at the ghetto clubs. I was reading anywhere where they would take the music off for a minute, let me kick a poem, and then put the music back on, because I knew the DJs. And so I was doing... Right. Different kind of spaces in Detroit. It wasn't like like my bro- like guys that came to my poetry gigs wouldn't come to poetry mm-hmm. gigs in New York. They weren't right. like they weren't backpackers. They were like hood dudes. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That probably you know, sold some weed or whatever. I mean, they were just dudes, and and those are my and that's what I love. Like my audience were like those regular people, our people, not just trendy head wrapped. You know what I'm saying? Burning incense, mm-hmm, yeah. like stereotypical. Like, this is what it looked like. So it didn't look like right, that. Don't act I'm
0: like afraid. you ain't got no incense burner somewhere in this moment. I got <laughs> some sage I from here. I <laughs> got sage up
1: in this beautiful, artistic home <laughs> of but, but it's still, it's, it's my hood wonderland. You know what I'm saying? Right, like, right. So it's it's no a doubt. balance of, uh, yeah, artsy and hood.
0: <laughs> now, speaking of spaces that poetry is not usually seen in or welcoming, that includes the mm. Apollo Theater. You know that that includes Showtime at the Apollo. I grew up watching Showtime at the Apollo, and you would see a comedian kill. You would see Stephanie Mm -hmm. Mills. Somebody sing a Stephanie Mills song. You know, Um, those that's who would win at the Apollo. You got up there and did this poem, Black Statue of Liberty, and you won five times in a row. Where you had to Mm -hmm. like they had to retire the poem. Your (laughs) Black Statue of Liberty is is your get by. Like that's.
1: Exactly. It's like just for me. I can't. I can't get by that poem. You know, and I'm so that poem is so old <laughs> for me. Right. And- of uh, graduated from Black Statue of Liberty, but I wrote it right. when I was probably 19 or 20 years old, right? I was a little girl when I wrote it, um, but it was a very strong poem. I'm talking about, I I stand still above an island, fish straight in the air, scar on my face, long braids my hair. People fly from my over just to swim near my tide, to climb up my long flight of stairs, but they trip on their shoestring lies. Like I was talking a lot of shit on the Apollo, um, right. and, and
0: it, was really saying, it was really yeah. resonating. It was it was resonating with the audience, and that's what I think is impressive yeah. about what was happening is that it was. It was he was talking a lot of shit to an audience that wasn't yeah. exposed to that type of thing, but it resonated resonated with them yeah. like they like they knew it in their bones and they, they soul. Oh and they man, are. they they yeah. shook my body
1: with those claps. You know what I mean? I was overwhelmed. Yeah. I was twenty two, you know, and I was like I didn't expect to necessarily get booed off the stage, but I didn't expect mm-hmm. the reaction to be as strong as it was. I was mm-hmm. there was a I beat a rapping dog, there's a rapping pit bull, I beat him, I beat some <laughs> temptation singers. <laughs> And dog had won like three weeks in a row. They were on like, Ed, Dre, and Dr., like Dr. Dre and Ed Lover on Hot 97. I was like, yo, the rapping dog is on hot 97. And they ended up bringing me on after I won. Cause I was like, they gotta bring, the, you know, the person that beat the rapping dog and shit. And so <laughs> it, it was, it was, um, it was more revolutionary in that moment than I even realized. I was so in shock from winning. And like, you know, Paul Mooney was there when I won, Brandy was there. Like, I was still in awe of just being at the Apollo. You know, I was really there as a mm-hmm. fan of. The stage and have watched so many people as a little girl, and I, I mean, for five weeks, I, I did three weeks Black Statue of Liberty, and then I, I begged after the second time to do Black Girl Juice, and that was different because normally if you're on the Apollo and you win with a song, you got to sing the same song, but I was like, yeah. I'm about to go out there in front of black people and do that same poem for the third yeah. time, and so mm-hmm. they let me do Black Girl Juice, and I won again, and then they kicked me off. I never lost <laughs> after five right. weeks. that um, Steve you're Harvey ringing. came out. Yeah, they're like, I'm a legend. <laughs>
2: it's, better to, it's better to retire a winner.
1: And that's how they felt, though. though. I think they all felt that way. Like Steve Harvey, Kiki Shepard, Rachel, and the crew. They was, all of them were really excited that I was winning. And they were like, mm-hmm. this sister right here, we're going to retire her. That's how, cause that's what we should do.
0: So that's what right. they did. And yeah, I was sitting and it still has, in my crib. Yeah. It still has impact to this day. Um, I think, um, yeah. then Zendaya, uh, post that poem. Zendaya? Zendaya. Zendaya. Oh, yeah, Zendaya, Zendaya did, I, did I say her name wrong? I've seen her in I, I might
1: be saying it wrong. <laughs> She's beautiful. I love her. Yeah. And she, when she was seven years old, she was doing Black Statue of Liberty. I think she was seven or nine. She was a little girl doing Black Statue wow. of Liberty in front of her fully white classroom. And she put mm-hmm. it on YouTube. And so I saw that little girl on YouTube for years and didn't know who she was. And then she mm-hmm. started talking to me. I think she was in an L or Vote magazine, magazine referencing me in my poem. And I was like... That's the little girl, the little actress that's kicking butt right now, and I love her because I remember when those folks uh, attacked her hair on that runway, mm-hmm. and they were yeah. giving her all this help for having this beautiful hair, you know. And so she's, but she comes from radical, you know, Panther background. She's got like radical activist roots, parents, and so I'm not surprised that she was watching me as a little girl on the Apollo. But that's Talib. To be honest, I, I can I get inboxes almost every day about some young girl telling me she's normally they're normally like 20 now right 22 now I was 12 I was 15 which I don't like to hear that could make me sound like I'm old, but it did. That poem did make an impact. I told young girls who told me that they were in abusive relationships, that, that they mm-hmm. didn't know poems could sound like that. That they started writing poetry because they never. All they knew were white male poets they were taught in school. So, and that's what happens to us. Like black women poets, um, we're buried inside. We're not in curriculum. And if we're in it, we're like one of us. Like they might give mm-hmm. you Maya Angelou, right? They might give you one mm-hmm. maybe Alice Walker if you have a good teacher. But they're not doing Lucille Clifton, Audre Lorde, Sonia Sanchez, Nikki Giovanni. Jeff Jessica Keir Asha Vandelli, Stacey Ann, they didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like there's, mm-hmm. we are a curriculum to be taught. And, and so as an adult poet, my push has been, you know, to really an education to like push back on these very white center Eurocentric um, curriculums and that we put black women poets' voices in the forefront. Young girls shouldn't be having to come find me. They should be in mm-hmm. the fifth right. and sixth grade. They can start learning. Black Statue of Liberty, right. a fourth or fifth grader can do that poem. And so, mm. Yeah. So that's the work. But so the poem always has a life because there's always some young girl that can still get that poem, right? Even though I've outgrown right. the work. Um, but We Want Our Bodies Back is my new Black Statue of Liberty,
0: you know? Right, right, right. For me.
2: Well, first of all, I'm going to say, I'm going to make sure that my daughter recites your poetry so you're not even going to have yes. to worry about her finding it. Thank um, you. Rather than siding with traditional publishers, you right away was like, fuck that noise. I need to do my Basically. own thing. Um, mm-hmm. What made you... Uh, How did you understand the power of black ownership and, Mm. you know, to do your own thing and not really care about ever having to work with white gatekeepers?
1: Yeah, thank you, Jasmine. It's a great question because that's who I am. And that's my daddy. Tom Moore raised that girl. Um, I watched him not work for anybody my entire life. He had Tom's mm. Trucking. He made, he um, had a cement trucking company. I never saw him working for white folks. He couldn't. He just didn't have the personality to do it. And I don't really have it either. Like, I'm very, a, I'm an independent spirit. And also, like, when I came to Brooklyn and I was, like, tearing down microphones with everybody else that was tearing down microphones at Brooklyn Moon Cafe and Sunday Tea Party. And we, I knew, I could, I knew that this was a special time period. Like, the, what was happening with hip-hop was special. And what was happening with poets was very special. And, um, I wasn't going to wait for a white press to tell me I was valid. That I was valid. Mm-hmm. That my voice meant something. I already had done audiences. I'd already traveled and toured with Paul Beatty over in UK. So I was doing European tours before I even had my first book deal. Before my before I gave myself my first book deal, I just never been. And I turned down Sony, Electra, and another record label. Like I turned down three record deals after I won wow. the Apollo. And so that's just I would, I didn't come to New York to get somebody to find me. You know, I came to New York mm-hmm. to find poets. I Mm -hmm. I went to New York to find Reggie Gaines and Willie Perdomo and Tony Medina and these poets I read in this book called The Allow, New York Anthology Allowed. So I was going chasing history, right? I knew that poets had come from something. And so, um, yeah, it was just a deeper thing for me. And becoming an institution builder was just more in line with what I thought was the necessary thing for the moment. So I published in the publishing, Saul Williams' first book after doing very well with my book. I came from a journalist background, so I knew how to write a press release. I knew how to, mm-hmm. I knew how to say Jessica came more the girl with the braids. So everybody knew me the poem with the girl with the braids on Apollo. And so mm-hmm. I took advantage of that moment. And I, you know, I, I got a, I had a couple great agents and they tried to shop my book. My book, I wasn't ready for a deal with a major house um, or, or independent white mainstream house, I should say, and, and building that. I learned so much now. Um, I published Saul Williams. I published Asha Medeli. I published Danny Simmons' book um, and Sharif Simmons' first book. And so I'm pu- publishing Brad Walron's Everyone, Everywhere Alien is coming out late in 2020. So I'm still publishing. I've slowed down because I really need to pu- uh, focus on myself as a writer and, and getting my voice out there, which is you know the reason why I decided to give this book to Harper Collins, um, Amistad. So because distribution, as we know in hip hop, is the key. <laughs> and so without a distribution deal for more black press, it has been the beautiful struggle um, to get make it easier for people to get to my work. And so that's what's been happening with We Want Our Bodies Back. So still doing more black press, still very independent. And all that independent energy, though, I, you know that I've learned the last 20 years doing this work, I bring all that intelligence to my to my book deal. So mm-hmm. I know how to talk to the marketing department. I know how to sell mm-hmm. my work to people. And you right. picked an amazing name, too. More Black Press, Thanks. that's just like, oh, ugh, more, yeah, perfect. with my last name, yes, more yes, Black Press, you know, and, and because we needed it. Because in the 90s, mm-hmm. like, you know, when it, some of the hip-hop artists were getting signed, the poets weren't. So there was no publishing houses really fucking with us. Like, they were, like, scared of us. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The voices that we are out there now that have book deals, at, at, at some point, there'll be a time where there's no way in hell. They would give us a deal. And so now we see more black people who are teaching, more black professors, and we see more black poets getting book deals, and and we deserve them. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we deserve the shelf space. And, and that's where I met Ty live at Inkiru Books.
0: Yeah, you walked into Inkiru Books and you sold me copies of your book. Um, words yeah. don't fit in my mouth. I think I bought five mm-hmm. copies, maybe 10 copies. Um, oh, the book yeah, was $15. $15, I sold, we sold, yep. Yeah, we sold out of it because I was like, I was able to sell it to young people Be like, that's a girl who won on the Apollo. Um, yes. And um, it's interesting because we just had Donnell Rollins on and he was oh, like, I,
1: know, I love him. Yeah, yeah he, he was like, he, back he, in the
0: day. yeah, he was that's what he's talking about. He was talking about living in Fort Greene, how he couldn't get comedy gigs. He was like, I would go to the poetry readings at Brooklyn <laughs> yes. Moon Cafe. And I would do I would do poems about poems about all those fake woke woke motherfuckers who were snapping their fingers because the people upstairs <laughs> was, was talking about yeah
1: yes and it, and, yeah, we had a snap I I don't even like the snapping I'd be like people to clap for me because the snapping with that Brooklyn Moon was because then we had people upstairs that were hating on us so right yeah Donnell was on the comedy scene and Dean Edwards as well was on the poetry mm-hmm. scene with us um, and that's how I met Dave actually because so the comics and yep. the poets back then were all intermixing now, I was definitely doing the comedy clubs though. I remember doing Club right. Flamingo. I was doing. I did. The, I did poems at the cellar. I did poems at all those little spots in East Village. And because it's one mic, right? Mm-hmm, I remember mm-hmm. Dr. Joan Ed Lover. I think had a show. Caroline's. They had a show that you used to host. And they. Mm-hmm. It was a comedy show, but they would let me come on and do like a poetry set in the middle of this mm-hmm. comedy thing. I wasn't never scared of any audiences. Some people might be scared of like comedy audiences because my poems aren't necessarily funny. I think I, I'm funny between the, between the poems, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I ain't never scared of no people, you know, and right. microphone. I'm like, nah, right. you know, all I need is one mic. It's a, it's a similar well, approach. It's audience and microphone.
0: Well, speaking of Nas and One Mic, you were on Nas album. Um yeah. you were on my album, you were on Young Jeezy album. Um yeah. tell me about for your me connection Jeezy's with hip hop. Yeah, how you became yeah. like almost like the go to poet for <laughs> hip hop artists.
1: <laughs> I don't know. You know, my A rapper need a poem, yet. you go get
0: Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Listen,
1: well, you know, the difference between, like, those other people, though, like, and I got a shot, like, Nas, you know, prediction and the outcome, he wanted me to open and close that album. And at and that time, I was supposed to, I was working on getting signed with Illwear Records, which is what I wanted. I wanted to work with Nas mm-hmm. in a much deeper way than just doing an opening and closing on his album. But I had, my management at the time didn't work out, you know, it just happens. And so, um, and that was a good look though, because even when I met like Lupe, Lupe Fiasco for the first time, Lupe was like, oh, I know you, you're the poet that was on the Nas album. So some mm-hmm. people actually, that was their reference for me. It wasn't the Apollo. It was the Nas album. Right, like the colleges. right. And I was like Afro Angels, how my weapons entangles. They'd be like, Oh, you the one that did the. I was like, Yeah. So that was, that was crazy, you know that. Because I mean? right. Nas wasn't necessarily he was a rapper, you know what I mean. It wasn't like it may I could see me working with you or working with most. Like it's hey, mine. wait, what you trying
0: to say? I'm not a rapper.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you're a rapper, but I'm saying like <laughs> you not like representing like Queensbread Project. Like come on, no, I'm dad, from look. Brooklyn, I,
0: you know. Yeah, and uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm friends with your mom. Brooklyn so got Dr. the Green. best rappers. <laughs> Detroit got some good rappers too though we got good rappers Detroit, Detroit. rappers
0: <laughs> okay let's talk about the Detroit rappers because you came in the game I going did. to the hip hop shop like recipes yeah. to proof you know what I'm saying yes. shout out to Maurice My Malone friend. like break down I ran the hip hop shop just so we're clear oh yeah 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 break down what the hip hop shop was and what that meant to, to Detroit, Detroit hip hop Detroit hip-hop. Listen, so I
1: used to run the hip-hop shop with Maurice Malone. I was his publicist mm-hmm. <laughs> at one time, and I used to mm-hmm. open and close the shop. And so um, right. it was the gathering place for rappers and poets and dancers and culture right on Seven Mile. And so everybody was there. Like, M would come through. Um, proof was good for my Proof hopes, hopes to open my DJ sabotage. DJ head with the DJs. DJ, DJ Rowe. Um they switched out. So we had a, it was a retail clothing store with a DJ mm-hmm. booth and a microphone on the floor. And we spent all day there. And so Maurice Malone was a big, he's a big influence on me. He, um, he, I learned a lot, like running a business because I helped him do a lot of his books. So I learned how to do payroll checks and all kinds of stuff for
0: Maurice. I used to buy Um, his clothes.
1: Oh, Jeans Like Jesus. I still got my Jeans Like Jesus Mm -hmm. t-shirt, them overalls. His clothes Mm -hmm. were just, he predated like Tommy Hilfiger. Like I I would argue. Well, I don't know if he
0: predated Tommy, but he predated uh, Cross Colors and FUBU. Well, I think Tommy that's stole the, from him, like his his, uh, his that, that, that might have been true. Yeah, that that might have oh, been true. That, 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 that's most likely sounds true. Sounds about white. That sounds about white.
1: Sounds <laughs> about white. I was, yeah, because his fashion shows were crazy. And in Detroit, we would have mm-hmm. like dancing and MC and all between the all between the fashion shows. And I never saw nothing mm-hmm. like that. And I went to New York and I saw a couple of people. I was like, oh yeah, Maurice was already doing that shit. Um, but I loved mm-hmm. him because he put Islam was like really like Islam and hip hop have a really rich history in Detroit that people don't know about either. So a lot of folks were like Sunni Muslim converting to Islam. So Islam and hip-hop had this deep connection. So all of us, like Batin and I, I remember being mm-hmm. with Batin from Islam. Rest, like, rest, rest in peace, Batin. Rest in peace, ten. You know all, the, all these people that I've lost, right? This is my friend. Yeah, man. I remember yeah, being man. in what the, y'all called Jay Dilla, but we called him John Doe. So I was in, John, right. John Doe was my friend. And Jay Dilla was like this fabulous guy that I used to see in New York, with
0: like <laughs> her
1: coats on. I used to be like, right. hey, Jay Dilla, <laughs> but you right. still John Doe. But he, we right. were on the east side in his mother's basement. And I remember saying to Jay, I was like, listen, I want you to put some beats under my poetry. And he was one of the few producers and people who said that shit would be dope. We should do it, mm-hmm. and I don't know if we ever did it, or he went because he went away, <laughs> and he ended up becoming super famous. But um,
0: right.
1: but he became friends with all my friends in New York, so he beca- mm-hmm. he got you know became cool with and and uh, mm-hmm. and Erica and you know, like, all the people that I connect myself with as a poet, and so same same tribe, you know what I mean, just different mm-hmm. cities. Yes, and um, and so yeah, we've lost we've lost some great pioneers. I mean, I would say that proof proof was like when the proof I saw proof. Freestyle Buster Rhymes where he was with leaders of the new school at St. Andrews Ooh. Hall. And proof mm-hmm. tore Buster Rhymes. <laughs> like I don't know. Buster may not admit to agree. this moment. Buster <laughs> <He laughs> may not agree. not agree. No, Yo, you Buster
0: pays Buster Buster tribute to the greats. And Buster loves okay. proof. I get I, I know Buster loves proof, but I also they know Buster. He's a competitive competitive MC. And I, I don't yeah. know if he would agree with that, but you know what I'm saying? But yeah, peace. People don't understand they the proof. impact that Proof had on the on the entire scene, not just yeah. on in Detroit, but Proof's mm. impact was national and then it was global. You know, yeah. Um, and, and he just man, he's such an imp, imp, yeah. inf, influential, imp, impactful human being.
1: Mm, you know, he's such a special person. He was actually supposed to drive me to Brooklyn. I moved to Brooklyn in 95 in my Ford pickup truck. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to drive and drop me off and take my truck back. And he flaked on me, so my girl oh, ended no. and, <laughs> So there's that. I'm not mad at him no more, but you know, he wasn't supposed <laughs> to me off. He's still no, she already you ride. Bad. Right. Rest this seems like a connection proof. to hip hop, yeah, man. It, yeah. yeah, I'm, I'm saying I've I'm been saying rest in peace so much these days in Detroit that it's like overwhelming to be honest. But um, so good to see people that are alive and healthy and good. To, I'm glad that you're healthy and that Jasmine you're healthy. Mm-hmm. And that's you know because I've had a lot of loss with COVID nineteen. But um, mm-hmm. but just back to hip hop and my connection. That, that, I mean, I'm a hip hop baby. You know, <laughs> it's all in my work. And so I grew up a big fan of KRS One and Run DMC and MC Light was the goddess of all goddesses and Queen Latifah mm-hmm. and I love Rakim and still do. Um, and what's great is I've been able to like know Rakim and he knows my work, which is just crazy to me. That I never thought in a million years that Rakim would know me as a
0: poet, and he does. And it means I mean, that's lot. that's the God right there, that's the God,
1: that's the God MC, you know what I'm saying? I'm mm-hmm. just the goddess poet, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a nice yeah. little balance. But when what's I was your- a little baby girl, I didn't think I would ever meet these people and didn't even know anything about me. So yeah, it's a blessing.
2: Um, what's your relationship with rap like today? Because I know rap gets a lot of criticism about, you know, talking about black women, but it's also a vehicle yeah. to talk about black stories. Are you still connected to rap mm-hmm. today? Like who are you listening
1: to? <laughs> Not many. Um, I mean I like Kendra <laughs> Lamar. I like J. Cole. Um, oh, I love Rhapsody. I was so just about to ask you about finally, Rhapsody because I'm sure she got I a lot love, of influence I love Rhapsody. from me. I love Rhapsody. I mean, I don't know if she has or not, but I love her. I've done some shows with her um, in Detroit. She was here. We hosted her with my girl, Piper Carter, with the Hip Hop Foundation. I love her. Um, I wish there were more. We just need more. I'm not the, the, my son is 13, my son King, and he tries to make me listen to stuff that I don't want to listen to. Um, (laughs) Kendrick was like the first rapper that came out in a long time that I was like, oh, that got my attention. Um, But I think that Cam J. Cole, I don't know. Me and Talib be having arguments about it. like I don't like a lot of it. Um, not just because the because they're talking about women and misogyny. No, I'm trying to remember. There was this
0: end. one. There was there was. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the name. Ooh. I'm not gonna say the name. But there was a rapper that we, we were was in, in the car Europe, for a long. We, he was on Europe in a long. We was in a long. Uh, we were for a, going for a long drive, and I was playing yes. a mixtape had one, no, DJ Like shout out to my DJ, DJ, DJ Spinolek. DJ he's playing Spine-A-Lek. a mixtape that he made, actually, now that I think about it, it was his mixtape. Really? And it had this one rapper that he likes a lot, that I also like a lot, but every time this rapper's voice came on, Jessica was like, who that was is that? He is <laughs> terrible. And, and it wasn't, she just, as soon as his voice, she wasn't familiar with the artist, mm. it's just every time his yeah. voice came on. And I'm like, what? I like it. She was like, well, listen to what he's talking about. And he really wasn't yeah. talking about much, but I was like, yeah. "But listen to the flow and the cadence of his on the beat." She was like, "That nigga's wild. I Like none of that. <laughs> yeah. There's songs I'm that you can.
2: Funny. There's songs you can listen to the words and be motivated, yeah. and then there's also songs you just gotta listen to the beat and the hook and just yeah. you know ride out. Yeah. That's just and how just it is out.
1: these days. Oh, she was Royce like, 5-9. "Who is this?" I like, I like Royce. That, oh, Royce, come on, 5-9. Royce represents
0: come on. D- Detroit. So, oh, I love him. Oh my goodness. Royce is one Listen, of the best I mean, MCs I've ever heard in my life.
1: Come on, and 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 people like I was with him, me, Royce, and yes. Trick Trick were at this uh, press conference for Councilwoman Mary. Shout Sheffield. out to it's Trick my trick, first trick time. Too. Shout out to Trick 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 Trick, love the okay. kids and
0: Trick, <laughs> trick love the kids
1: and no fly zone is in back attack. So so you know he <laughs> did mention that at the at the, right. at the press conference that the no fly zone. I didn't fly
0: in. I, I I drove in.
1: You good. I'm we're not good. talking about you. We're talking about, he was talking about suburbs oh, coming into Detroit to, like, tear down our city. Um, mm-hmm. And they go back to mm-hmm. their house in the suburbs. So well, I was like, you know, mm-hmm. when they people were, like, talking about organizing Detroit, which is, of course, we need organizing in Detroit. We got to shout out Detroit um, police and what's happening here. But the suburbs is the worst of the worst. And, like, we need to be in Dearborn and Southfield with it because that's where I get pulled over all the time. Oakland mm-hmm. County. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like, cities are mm-hmm. different. You know, Detroit's not a perfect place, but it's definitely different. But Royce, like, Listen, I hadn't been next to nobody, and Royce came up to me, and was like, "Oh, I love your poem, blah 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 blah," and I was like, "Thank you, your voice of nine, you're amazing." And um, he's like, "Can I get the poem?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, just take the book." And I, he, you know, this man sent me fifty dollars for the book. I
0: love Royce of nine. <laughs> good dude, good dude, a, good dude.
1: Yes, a good dude and a, and a really talented rapper, and so that, and Big Sean too. I got like, love Big um, Sean. Big Sean is incredible. Oh yeah, Big Sean, Big Sean is incredible. Yeah. I got
0: to I got to I want to talk about Deaf Poetry Jam because I feel like you and the okay. poets that you you came in a game with really kind of mm. invented that. Um, yeah. Tell me about the beginning of Deaf Poetry mm. Jam and how it became, the what it became.
1: Wow, so I was one of the poets myself, Black Ice, um, Steve Coleman, and some other folks who were asked to do mm-hmm. the US Comedy Festival with, um, by Danny Simmons. So at that time, mm-hmm. we had done a couple showcases where rockin was actually at one of them. Right. The, um, at, and you at, put out Danny Simmons? Museum.
0: You put out Danny oh, yeah, Simmons'
1: yeah. book you're right around. Right. Yeah, I published Danny. I dreamed my people were calling, but I couldn't find my way home. It's his first book of poetry and paintings. Mm-hmm. So, Danny Simmons was a part of the scene, right, in New York City. So, mm-hmm. I was doing events at Danny's house, reading poetry readings on his roof, his fly spot in Brooklyn. He was a gallery owner, uh, ran Rush Philanthropic, always did poetry events at their space in, in Manhattan. And we, we took it out to the U.S. Comedy Festival when You were at Aspen. Dave was there. Dave, it was a, everybody was there. The Wayans family was there. Um, and it was, everyone was talking about poets. We did that showcase and everybody, like I think George Lucas was there, it was bananas. But everybody was talking about the poets because here we are in the, the U.S. Comedy Festival doing this poetry showcase and um, and we killed. And they got the deal right after that. So I was in the beginning of it all. At that time I was already you know, famous in my world. I was already a well-known poet, established. I was living in Atlanta. and. And so I came in the beginning, I did the first three seasons and then I just worked to get other poets on um, mm-hmm. and make sure that every time they didn't say, mo- that most didn't come out and say from Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Can we not right. say from Brooklyn, New York the whole show? And so right. I worked on bringing some of those Atlanta and those Georgia poets saying those people's names, the Detroit poets, helping to shape the show in a very organic way. I wasn't on staff as a producer, but I definitely was, mm-hmm. um, had their ear. And so it was great. It was, um, and we already were doing it. So yeah, they gave deaf, hey, HBO's that Poetry jam and helped us get some light mm-hmm. on something that was already happening. And so... Right.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, that's a be-
1: And I just did yeah, a great be- fundraiser with, with Black Ice. We raised a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, shout, out Ice, more of money. shout out to Black Ice, of course. Shout out to Black Ice, yeah. We did a, you we and did me a ran into black-
0: fundraiser. Yeah. You and me ran into Black Ice in Amsterdam. We did. That's yeah. where he We travel a he, lot.
1: He, I think he's, yeah. he's a black Dutchman now. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: I spent Christmas vacation with you in Jamaica. We ran into... Uh Well, you ran into Dream Hampton. I did not. I ran into Cypher Sound. I Sounds did into Dream. Yeah. Yes. Max Glazer. You had Allende ba- Baptiste. Is that how you say his name? Allende John Baptiste. One of my de- my little brother. Right. My friend for many years. Right. Yeah. That's that's the young man who, at the Million Man March, did that speech. How old was he when he did it? 12? Yeah. 14? Oh, so like that 12. Yeah, with the Afro? I the most, yes. I the had never Afro, met him before. Yes. I met him in Jamaica with Jessica. It was a wonderful thing. Yeah, um,
1: lovely. Now... Oh, you I miss you spoke that. I miss about
0: Jamaica. <laughs> me too. We should go back. Um, you know, we should go back and do a, a, a versus you versus you and me. We do it like Beanie Man and and Bounty Killer.
1: <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs>
0: I'll destroy um, you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you talked about <laughs> um,
0: you talked about putting out other poets. Um, Absolutely. You know, Saul Williams. Saul Williams was a yeah. fantastic poem and an icon back then, but he's even bigger now. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ian yeah. Thomas was just just getting started in the poetry scene, but now he's like best-selling author. Ross yeah. Baraka is the mayor of Newark, New Jersey. I published that book. So my that, question to you,
1: <laughs> right? So my question that to girl you is, love hard.
0: <laughs> yes, right? Do you feel like you were? He was also on Lauren Hill's album for for reference. He was the teacher between, between all the skits, but. Do you feel like you're ahead of your time because you you publish these people work work with these people before the world gave them started to give them their flowers?
1: Yeah, of course I do. I mean, I I <laughs> I, 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 I do. No, I wasn't a visionary. <laughs> but, but I, was, I do? I, I, yeah, Catch I mean, yourself absolutely. The back, queen. Let me let me give myself my flowers. Okay. And, yes. And uh, and recognize the work that I put in because publishing mm-hmm. is thankless work and mm-hmm. taking. My money from poetry and saying seeing what Saul was doing in the scene and like he wasn't getting a publishing deal, I was like, I'm a publisher. And Saul walked his manuscript over to me and said, "Let's make you the Hakim Adabuti of um, our generation." Yeah, shout, like, out Hakima,
0: shout out to Hakim. Shout out to Hakim Third you? World Press. Support yes, Black yes. books. Support yes. Black
1: institution builders. Um yes. so I became that young, rowdy institution. So I did the seventh octave. Marcia Jones did the beautiful cover. And she became my art director and did a, a lot of my covers after that. Um, mm-hmm. I did. And so it just it just made sense for me to do it because I had the hustle to do it. And I love to put out books. It's just very different. No one ever... So people think that I get... Like, I don't have grant money. So that, back then, we didn't get no grants. So I was doing it all off of my own, out of my own pocket and doing it really for love mm-hmm. because with poetry, I'm only going to sell so many books unless it's me. Like, I sell a lot of books and what's deep Tyler about having this deal is that I didn't know how many books I was selling I was I've been killing people from
0: my house like really look, look <laughs> words words don't fit in my mouth so 20k back then and that's monster yeah. numbers yeah and, and in more sense
1: then absolutely yeah. I was that's killing crazy. it. and' like I didn't know I was killing though because I assume people on a big white press they must be selling like a hundred thousand copies right mm-hmm. if I could sell 20 and I'm just me in my Brooklyn apartment then they got to be selling but really they weren't and it's just that I sell books at like hip hop concerts mm-hmm. and places where they don't have scans, so I didn't care about the barcode as much as like that's all the, we want. We want our bodies back. It's all about that barcode scan, right? Because people trying to get mm-hmm. the book from me nonstop every day. Like, just we want to get that book from you. I was like, ah, you got to get it. Yeah, from the stores.
0: I'm, <laughs> I'm. I'm leaving with. I'm leaving with this copy right here. I got. I got my copy now uh, yes, because I tried. Yes. I tried to order it from uh from my distributor because I got qualityclub.com and I got in inhuman. You got it. There. And it was, it was, I got it up now, but I I tried to order some more and they were back ordered. Really? Yeah. I need to know that information. That yeah. means I know myself. he's
2: coming with my copy,
1: too, when you get back to L.A., right? That's
0: right. That's yes. right. There we yes. go.
1: Yes. <laughs> I got you, Jasmine. Absolutely. And the right. other books are really good, too. I try to tell people, go like go to JessicaCairmore.com and get Sunlight the Bullets and God Is Not an American. Mm. And those other mm. books are just as strong. And that money goes all to my press. And helping my press right. helps me put out other poets. And so I got Brad Walron on deck And I want to publish his book. Shout out to Brad. So, very, very, very talented poet. poet. Great spoken word artist and great
0: writer. Yes. Absolutely. Um, now, as one of my good, good friends.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> when I decided that I needed to get up and go to Ferguson in the yes. wake of the uprising, um, mm. the protest around the death of Mike Brown, you were one of yeah. the people I called. Yeah. It was That's Rosa it. Clemente and yourself. Yes. And, um, you know, we all went down there as a unit. There was other people, but y'all, this was y'all was my main crew. And um, we went down there as a unit and we planned to spend Mm. maybe a day or two down there, but we ended up spending a week and uh, we ended up, we ended up right in the middle of the protest. We ended up getting chased by the police. We ended up getting Mm -hmm. laid down, having guns pointed at us. Um, Yes. Tell me about how that experience shaped you and then Mm. connect it to what's going on now. And what have, what have you learned based on your experience Mm. at Ferguson? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Ferguson uh, was um, was, tra- was traumatizing <laughs> for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've been an activist my whole life. I think I started my first anti-police brutality protest was for Malice Green here in Detroit when I was probably about 19 or 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And Ferguson, you know, I've been in so many, you know, we've been in rallies, we've been in protests. I've been mm-hmm. in, I did, I'm mm-hmm. Diallo, um, in, in New York City. Like, I've been doing that work, but this one felt different. And so... I remember that night we went out, I remember those AR-15s, those big guns that were at our back and them making us get down on the ground. And I'll never forget like trying to find your hand. And I wrote about it in a poem called I Can't Breathe that's in We Want Our Bodies Back. Um, So, you know, just to say like what happened to me there has shaped me forever. Um, I was shook, you know, I was shook as a a black woman, as a mother, as an activist. I really felt like I could have died. And it was the first time I was in just a, a peaceful protest and I was like, these people will kill me. Like, They're going to kill me for just walking mm-hmm. out here. And, um, and so it did change me, um, it, it, but it didn't stop me. <laughs> it just informed me. And I was like, this shit is very real. And um, I, it took me, I got home after we'd been out there for a while, and I cried finally. And then I wrote this poem, I Can't Breathe, um, for Mike Brown mm-hmm. and Eric Garner, just about how I felt as a mother and how afraid I was that I might die and who's going to raise my mm-hmm. sons. And my son Omari called me there and asked me to please come home, which is actually in the poem, like Omari's like, please, can you just go home? Because he's watching Mm -hmm. it on the news. But I'm like, Sonia Sanchez had twins and she didn't go home. And so, you know, women been on the like Rosa Clemente has a a daughter. She didn't go home. Mm -hmm. And so, and Taleb, you got children. But I think when women are are mothers are on front lines like that, they get questioned in a different kind of way. Like, you're being irresponsible. Um, and so I dealt with a lot of emotions, but you know, for, just to fast forward to right now, it's unbelievable how that poem "I Can't Breathe" has become the three words, right, right? Mm-hmm. that this brother George Floyd was saying out of his mouth, um, that so many of our our brothers and our sisters are saying. I can't breathe in so many ways. And it's a metaphor for me to just how it is to be black in this country. You know, like black being a pre-existing condition, black being mm-hmm. something beautiful, mm-hmm. but also this thing you have to carry. Like just me trying to raise my black boy free in this country has been mm-hmm. the trem- most tremendous stress. It has been the front line mm-hmm. of my life. Just trying to not have... White teachers destroy him, um, and mm-hmm. in Detroit, I've had to send him to public, private schools, and so that's been the struggle too. So it's all like it's overwhelming because you think about motherhood, you think about I'm just trying to be free, like I'm just trying mm-hmm, to be human, mm-hmm. and um, and so it's it's been it's been really difficult, like this time period right now, watching and watching my son watch it and trying to get him off of it because he's very tuned in and he's looking at the police videos and he's getting mm-hmm. taller. And all you do is worry, like, when he gets 15, because he's smart. They, they don't like smart black men, yep. you know, that know mm. their rights. That He's like, Mommy, I'm just going to tell them they can't do that. I said, yeah, you can tell them, mm. you know, baby. But all of us, you know, mm. don't matter. They don't care about your, your BA, your MFA. When none of that matters when you get pulled over. And... Um, mm. And so it's like, and just what happened with this brother in Atlanta, just like, you know, I get nauseous about it. it But Breonna Taylor, like, you know, which there is enough outcry with Breonna Taylor. We got that law passed. But, you know, like when black women and black girls die in police custody and that happens a lot, then you. Mm -hmm. I don't see us like turning up enough. Mm -hmm. Like I want us to turn up more for black women and black girls. Um, We want our bodies back. That poem is for Sandra Bland. That's um, the title Mm -hmm. of my book. It's about her. It's about me. It's about us, Jasmine. It's about our lives Um, because we are the frontline workers because black mothers take care of those black sons and we are the ones that get us to the next space. And so it's um, I learned a lot. I learned that the fight is real. I learned that um, activism isn't pretty. Um, It definitely isn't celebrity. I don't like celebrity activism. (laughs) I just can't stand it. Um, And Mm -hmm. and it's definitely not supposed to be one person. One person will speak for us. Then Mm -hmm. I, I like that idea like Everyone may not agree with what Black Lives Matter is or who they're funded. They have, people have all these questions. I'm like, the point is that our lives matter. We got Black Lives right. were mattering before the before it was a hashtag. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, what I'm saying before what it became a thing, an organization, it was still a reality. It was still something we were fighting against, and we've been on we've been doing that work as artists, activists, our entire careers. And so, I'm still learning a lot. You know, but COVID nineteen has been something like to have to go right. in the middle of a pandemic, watching my people. Hit the streets, and that's something right. I'm saying that I'm not right. Like I'm got, I'm home with my son. I got to take care of my son, and his health is first. And so my mother's health is first. And so that I'm on pause <laughs> on that tip. I, there's a, a, a protest that's gonna happen with all girls and women. They've asked me to speak at. I'm probably gonna go to that. I can't help myself. I'm probably gonna have to go to that. Um, but I have right. to pick and choose. Which your mask on. With my man. mask on. People trying to hug me. I'm like, yo, fall back. Back well, up. Like, yeah, I'm not ready yet. And I think that I don't understand why black people are in a rush to get their hair. Like, my nails ain't done. I ain't had a pedi in three months. But I'm beautiful you're still, still. You're still, know, you're like, still killing them. I had a pedicure. Them, still I I had a pedicure. Like, Listen, I ain't had one yet. Somebody come give me a pedicure, please, with a mask on. Jasmine, <laughs> are you trying to lift your
0: toes? Is that what's happening over there?
1: Am I trying to what?
0: <laughs> lift your toes to show us? <laughs>
1: No, I was not. <laughs> I, can't,
2: I, cannot, I can't lift my toes. I, mean, on, I, I got a better Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I got a pedicure. Hold I definitely can't <laughs> lift my toes. <laughs> But I did get a pedicure with my mom and I did have a nice. mask on and so did the lady doing a mask and she's down at your okay. feet. So it's, it's OK. But uh, yeah. COVID has been the main reason. I mean, besides the fact that I'm pregnant, that I haven't been protesting because that's just too many risks. But you mentioned yeah. um Breonna Taylor. And I just think that it's disgusting how they have a law passed. But yet these police officers are still haven't running around. Like, you know, like we don't want just, we want the law, but we also want them to get arrested and convicted exactly. because that, that, that's what should
1: happen. And I'm um, really surprised by that Louisville mayor because I met him. I was at the, um, uh, at this event with my son, uh, with Raz Baraka and all these black men is big positive event and called the rumble and center for black male achievement sponsored it. And he was there and he sounded like he was all connected to black community and bowed it. And that's I was like, like, Politicians he do.
0: He's a Yo, good politician. He is a good politician. i, yeah,
1: I me fooled. I'm like, what's going on, yeah. Mayor? And, like, and, and I Mar- want
0: to make I'm sure not- that people understand that I said he's a good politician. That don't mean he's a yeah. good human being. People Politicians get are actors. I <laughs> they're, they're
2: great yeah, actors. Exactly. Tyler mentioned that we spoke to Vic Mensa last week. And um, he talked about the aspects of protests and the rioting and how we've been getting looted out of our um We've been getting looted for white profit for decades and centuries. How do you feel about how uh, people are protesting right now? What are your thoughts on it?
1: I think it's all fantastic, and what I, what I told my son because my son is Mahatma Gandhi, right? My, he is Gandhi. He's like the peacemaker. I'm like Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, and my things like "God, Yo, your son,
0: your son, me and your son had an argument in Jamaica because he was trying to trying to bring all the all the people together, and I was like, yo, you can't be you can't be trying to have conversations with the ways of premise, and he was on some humanistic. He he's so beautiful. So, he didn't so know. Beautiful. He didn't. I had to put him you on his You need both music. types
2: of people, though. You need both types of people. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I you love, need, I you love
1: King. All, you need all the people, but King is definitely the peacemaker in the crib. And my, yeah. Mommy is the is the wild one. And so, what's deep as I gave him this analogy. he's was talking about the bill. He was like, Mommy, what about the people burning other buildings? Because I remember when the precinct in Minneapolis went on fire, I was kind of like, Yeah, that's a nice visual Me too. He was like, Mommy, wait. <laughs> I was right. like, No, nah, babe. I said, I said, There's no people in there. That's just a building. Mm-hmm. It's some mm-hmm. good symbolism with that, though. And he was like, but, but why? What is burning the building? I said, what? so this is what I told him. I said, King, if we outside and mommy is on fire and there's a building on fire and the fire department comes, who you want them to put out first? I said, because black people been on fire our entire lives. I said, so the, a building can be replaced, a, but a person's life can't be brought back. And so the yep. most important thing is that we take care of people first, people before buildings. Mm-hmm. And then right. those are things, fuck things. Fuck shoes. Fuck some 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 bracelets. Like that don't mean shit. Especially you are talking mm-hmm. about these young people who don't have access to your shiny shit that you put mm-hmm. in their right. faces. They don't have access because of the poverty rates here, because of the economic disparity in black and brown um, um communities. They don't, so mm-hmm. they wish they could have those things. And now they're like, mm-hmm. fuck it. Now I'm gonna have them things. I, mm-hmm. I'm not hating on none of that. You know why? They have insurance. I was like, King, anybody that got a business that's that's got baller money, they got baller insurance and they're gonna be fine. I said, mm-hmm. but George right. Floyd's um daughter, Gianna, can't have her daddy back. Um mm-hmm. that man in Atlanta had three daughters. Talk to the police about his daughters. Uh, But one just had a birthday. How are you having this conversation and shoot a man twice in the back after that? So that's, you know, so that's that's how I feel like, you know, this is this is where we're at because we're finally exhausted from white supremacy. Yes, you know, there is definitely institutionalized racism. I've been trying to teach that to my son, like teaching him like this. It's not about. And, you know, because he's like, can black people be racist? I was like, no, they can be prejudiced or biased, but racists have mm-hmm. attached to a system. They have power in the system to actually enact their feelings become power. I can have a feeling about a white person, but I can't do nothing to the white person because I'm going to go to jail quick. Right. But black yep. white people can have a feeling about what they think is a black person and not hire them for the job, not give them the promotion, you know, not... Whatever the thing is, treat their child different in the classroom. So which I want to pull us. I just, we, we have to, re- we have to take back our policing and we have to take back these schools. Like we have to talk about mm-hmm. defunding education. <laughs> like the education system is completely set up for rich kids. It's not yes. about poor children making a difference. Poor children can't just go to college. They're mm-hmm. not, it's not set up for us. So college should be free. Black and brown people shouldn't have to pay to go to university or college anyway. That, that's reparations to me. If we're gonna talk about reparations, like education is the front, like that's what it is. It's not give me a check. It's not, give me the opportunity to go to school. Like all, all brown and black babies should have the opportunity. When we at one point, there was illegal for us to read, to read and mm-hmm. write, mm-hmm. right? And so, I don't know if I'm answering the question, but that's how
2: that's I'm writing how in it. Jessica <laughs> for president. I know that much. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> I've made yeah. no, my decision. I got, I got, I the, I an got the campaign.
0: <laughs> I got the campaign slogan. Fuck your bracelets. Yes, <laughs> Fuck your bracelets. What? Fuck your bracelets. Anyway, I'm on um, fire. Like,
1: yeah, let's go.
0: So yeah, so Jessica um has this album, oh, the yeah. Black Tea, the Legend of Jesse James. Now, mm-hmm. Jesse, when you told me that you had an album, mm-hmm. I was nervous, and the reason <laughs> no. why I was nervous is because it's very rare to hear a good spoken word poetry album. But just in my subjective opinion. Right. I agree. Yes. Right. And so there's there's exceptions to the rule. I remember when Eargasms, Eargasms came out, which you were on. It's a good album. Back in the day, that album was very, very stellar. Every song on the album had something to offer, was substantial, yeah. was very good musically. Um, yes. Nothing was sacrificed for the message in the spoken word. Absolutely. Seiku um, Sundiata. Mm, you know. master. Yes. Master. His album's. He was able to craft albums that felt like musical albums, but he was a spoken word artist at his That's core. Right. And uh, of course, Gil Scott Heron is probably the Gil master Scott-Haren of
1: the, the master of it, right? Of the yes. genre. Um, yes.
0: Your album, when you played it for me, mm. it blew me away. Thank you. And I was just, I was, I was stunned, and I wanted to be yeah. in business with you. Um, and so we put the album yeah. out. Uh, beautiful.
1: Shout, out to, shout out to John Dixon who wrote most of the album, Piano Player from Detroit.
0: Yes. He did a fantastic job. Um, yes. I'm on the album. Uh, Jose yes. James, Wordsworth, yep. Idea. Yep. Roy Ayers. Roy Ayers is Roy on Ayers. it. Roy Ayers.
1: Ideas on yeah. it. My sister Blue was uh, Blue singing on
0: Im- it. Imani Azuri, I think, is on it. Is Imani on uh, it?
1: Ursula Rucker is on it, okay. yes. One Below is on okay. it. It's a killer yep. album. That album is real. And I'm not saying it because it's my album, but I was trying to make the album that Gil Scott-Heron, who was one of my teachers and friends, would be proud of. And I know Gil would have loved Because I mean, I don't like poetry over beats, to be honest. When people send mm-hmm. me beats, and the one song that I love on the album that you told me to write to actually became one of my favorite songs, Catch Me If You
0: Can, right? Produced but by Brady like, Watt, who has made himself very famous with his Bass and Granny. Bar Series. On yes, Jason Bar, shout no.
1: out. Yes, I love Brady. And he's hot on bass, hot white boy on bass, Brady white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. but he produced the track and I love the trumpet. So I wrote to the sound of the horns because the horn and the voice are very similar to me. And I think the reason why for me, I think the music worked, Brian Jackson and Gil Scott Heron just had a thing. Brian Jackson was a, was mm-hmm. a killer producer, right. and they found that, me and, me and John Dixon went into Submerge over there on, on East Grand Boulevard, um, which is the home of the techno museum on the third floor, and wrote that album in a little small, little space where he would listen to my poem, and he wrote the chords around the language, and that's why it worked. Instead of me just dropping my poem over the beat, the way like a rapper would take, get a beat and you write to the beat, the, that album was written to my voice, because the musicality of my voice um, already has a sound. And like, so walking on 158th Street, like little brown lady with brown eyes. I had been doing that for years. That was, I wrote that line. Right. Little brown lady with brown eyes. Oh, so Chris Johnson right. just came. And yeah, the album's beautiful. It sounds so good on vinyl. I play it often, to be honest, <laughs> my old record. But it's a good album. And um, mm-hmm. I'm really so grateful because out of all the rappers and people that I have worked with, um you actually put my voice out there in a big way and so there's, i always give you lots of credit whether you're n- you're never here to hear it but i talk about you often <laughs> how much i appreciate that because no it's like you know because men um rappers get like you know hip hop artists get like a really bad rap when it comes to like women's voices and it's one thing to ask me to open your album or close it it's another thing to give me some bars and i've been saying that for years like give me some bars i want to i want my publishing money you know, I know how this business mm-hmm. works. Like, I, I right. interlude, may not get the same publishing. You know, I want to be inside the song. But you did, did more than that. You were like, well, here. I'm putting the whole... I remember you calling me like, you want a record deal? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want a record deal. Like, and Because he was like, what are you going to do with this album? And I was like, well, Talib, you're Talib Kweli. Ka- what you going to do with the album? Um, I knew it was good and, uh, I'm really proud of the album. I hope to be able to, to do more. And, um, but lots of the reviews I got, like this Canadian reviewer was like, we don't know what took Jessica Kerr so long, but I really was working, as you know, like I've worked with, you know, I've been producing Black Women Rock for 16 years. So I've been mm-hmm. doing like rock and roll with poetry and doing, um, I've got a record coming out with Jeff Mills and Eddie Folk's Actually, I got mm-hmm. a techno record mm-hmm. coming out in July called The Crystal City is Alive. And Jeff Mills is one of the producers that I wanted to work with. My whole life. So it's like a dream come mm-hmm. true that I'm working with Jeff Mills. And so I, I didn't have any limits musically as to what I could uh-huh. do. But, um, mm-hmm. but nobody said, you know, I'm going to put your album out. I mean, I never would have had a meeting with Pandora to talk about a Jessica Kim station. Like, you helped open that door for me. So I love you, Todd for like doing that. Oh, I love you me. too. And yeah, yeah. And, th- and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm glad that you think the album actually was worthy of that because um, I didn't I'm looking forward really to the I- next one. Let's, we're going to do yeah. another
0: one it, it's coming yeah we went on tour you said
1: we went on tour and I remember like it was really a good learning experience like you know because I remember you and I were like I, I perform more at universities and places of higher learning and <laughs> not in these dirty ass nightclubs
0: to. I was performing not at. these dirty <laughs> ass clubs and shit you know what I'm saying <laughs> but I was like spilled, it was deep spilt cognac and I, not it. <laughs> nothing fighting like, what with is fighting it? with the promoters <laughs>
1: Yo, your fights with the promoters are crazy. I be like so. I would be like just, I have to just, just get deep down inside with my omen and my meditation. It's not that tonight. bad. It's not that bad. But we did Brooklyn Bowl together mm-hmm. and with the band, and um, and and that's what I, you know, that was amazing for me because I saw these all these young white kids in the audience looking at me like I was a foreign object and I blew, I knew <laughs> I was blowing their minds back. I had Stephanie singing I think and them horns came mm. out and I just remember them coming up after me like who are you? And that's what's deep about the industry. Like I've been in this, I've been working all over the world for 25 years full time as an artist mm. and people are still discovering me <laughs>
0: which right, is, right.
1: so um, and that's the thing and that's why you know interesting enough the reason why I align myself with black women rock and roll artists is because I have a very similar lifestyle as as Liza Kobe, as Dionne Ferris, as Divinity Rocks, as Nick West, as Stephanie Christian, as, you know, Julie Dexter, where these people are like Salise Henderson. I mean, I rock with all the black women who play rock and roll, you know, Cat Dyson and Nona Hendricks, um, who's a
0: legend in it. Give us context on that, because you don't just rock with them. It's not like you're just a fan. You actually <laughs> organized for years, for like a decade straight, uh, black women's years. rock. 16 years, 16 years concert years. with all with many of these people that you just named come to Detroit. Yeah. And you've done it other places other than Detroit, but it's a fantastic yeah. show. Tell us about this you show. You saw
1: it in San Francisco. You saw it at the, in the Bay. Yes. Yes. You
0: turned
1: it all the way out in the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. Um, black and Rock is a 16-year-old black women rock and roll institution that's a empowerment rock and roll concert weekend that brings together black women rock and roll artists from all over the country even outside the country to play with about a 12 to 15 piece black women rock orchestra uh, musical Mm -hmm. directed by cat dyson and i've been doing this work for 16 years in tribute to a woman named betty davis who was married to miles davis who actually i got put on to betty davis through amir from the roots right so and you just showed me some
0: You just show me some autographed pictures, portraits that Betty Davis sent you personally that are hanging up in this beautiful crib that you have. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, she blessed me with these beautiful
1: black and white photos and and a beautiful poster, and she signed them. I love Black women Rock and um, to Jessica, and she actually signed a poster to Nona Hendricks. We took it to Pittsburgh. She lives in Pittsburgh, so we took it to the we headlined the the August Wilson at the August Wilson Center at the Jazz Festival, Pittsburgh Jazz Festival, and that was a dream come true because I've been wanting to bring it to home to Pittsburgh. Um, but I, annually in Detroit, but we've done it in New York City. We headlined the Apollo Theater the Women of the World Festival, and when you saw it in San Francisco, we got asked to come back again and do it that same year in San Francisco again. And so it's one of the best rock concerts you've never seen. Um, it's high-powered. Right. It's all Black women. The st- our staff is all 90% Black women. Um, and the stories behind it are so interesting because these women have literally like Divinity Rocks, you know, has played all over the world with Beyonce. Um, but she's really a front person. So Celise Henderson, like you know, who did my show, was just on Saturday Night Live with the I forgot the new girl's name, the new pop star girl. But anyway, Lizzo, um,
0: the new pop star no, girl. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, Lizzo.
1: No, I like her. I like her. I like her. Yeah, Lizzo. I like her. That's what you was so, talking about. Yeah, I was at yeah, I was, yeah,
0: I was, I was <laughs> at that show, Jesse. I, I was I I must must have seen your girl. I was. I was backstage in the rafters watching that shit.
1: Yeah, Salisa's bad, man. Salisa Henderson. But mm-hmm. I mean, people are like, oh, the girl from SNL. I was like, no, nah, the girl from Black Women Rock. She was just in Detroit. And so, Kimberly Nicole, like, her voice is extraordinary. Yazara, her voice is extraordinary. Like, Yazara, Jesse yeah. Wagner. Like, these women I've been rocking with for years because they actually need space. They actually, people need to hold space for them. Mm-hmm. And they are healers. And they, Imani Azuri can hit many Ripperton notes. But I bring women that are skinny, our thick, are dark, our light, our in-between, look all kinds, nobody, everybody don't look like me. Have I got too many light-skinned women on the bill? Somebody gotta go? So i curate, curated, <laughs> curated so that people can see that black women look like all the things, that we all right. don't have the same goddamn weave. Like some of us got natural hair, some of us got a weave, somebody got cornrows, um, but like, you know, I would put this concert against any concert. And I've gone to some other big, you know, concerts with
0: lots of budget I, I, just
1: to see. I agree. Nah. I agree. Yeah, it's, I watched it's this a killer. So.
0: It's, the black woman's rock concert is so ill. I watched it on Zoom this year. You know did, you? Oh, did you? Did <laughs> you? I had to see it. You know what I'm saying? It was the Zoom call was a little hectic at first, but y'all got it together after though. a while. Well,
1: I have. A, I'm trying, I have trying to, to figure a out gets- a way to to do it right online it's hard because we right. are we are audience driven kind of weird yeah you got to feel it, right, because right. we sweating and you know just right. all in your face with it and so and, but people don't know that black women created rock and roll and so and that's what's killing me it's right. like big mama thornton it's not like we're yeah we're not taking over genre we're taking genre back mm. <laughs> it's that's our right. genre i was just gonna say that i
2: have a guitar so i need to start practicing so i can let's uh, go
1: jasmine
2: get on there i can do one chord right now uh, just give me some time <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you get to, like, three or four, you know what I'm saying? And, like, right now is a good time, Jasmine, to be honest. Like, Kat Dyson is working with King. My son is learning guitar, and she does classes online. So if you really want to get down, you should yes. do it while you while you while you, while you got a bun in the oven. <laughs> yes, I've had
2: it since September, so I'm ready to learn.
0: Hey. Now, Jessica, you, you brought up um, hip-hop's connection with Islam and um, how that yeah. was impressive to you, how Maurice Malone did that. Um, you are yeah. a Muslim. And so... Um, yeah. You know, Yasin is my partner, and mm. I've watched him. One of the one of the more Muslim than me. Yeah, probably. One more Muslim than me. I'm Muslim. One to of the a more, degree. One of the more inspirational things is watching him. Like mm. he Islam informs every part of his lyrics in a yeah. way that he is connected to his faith in a way that most artists are not, in my opinion. Yeah, and because. Yeah. He is connected to his faith. He's a, he's a man. He's a he's a human being. He's not a perfect individual, right? No, no. but.
1: <laughs> right, right. I'm not a but, perfect man. I think he's saying it. That's he, he even made he a song about it. He, best you, best best you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm, sitting so explain, <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to
0: explain. I'm sitting here trying to explain y'all seeing, and this nigga fucked around and made a song about it 20 years ago, <laughs> explaining it way better than I could do it right here on this on this Zoom call. Um, None of us are but, perfect, and, but he's right? One to of that with
1: li- people, and I love him dearly. So yes, <laughs>
0: to, that. to that to that to that lyric, do you sometimes? Because he has had a public struggle between trying to adhere to his faith and also be yeah. this charismatic, charming artist that gets all this adulation. That's part of why he changed yeah. the name from Most Deaf to Yasin Bey. So he could be closer yeah. to him, to himself and closer to God. Um, do yeah. you ever have, have that same struggle with your art?
1: I don't. You know, the thing is, I don't. And I don't do that to other people. Um, I, mm-hmm. I I mean, it's deep because I... There's this thing, people have this assumption because I'm a poet that, you know, there's a lot of stereotype with poetry. Like you wear a wrap skirt or you're, you know, you're, you know, burning, all that silly stuff. And I, when I started deciding to like, I'm going to wear it like, tight clothes. And I'm going to wear high heels and I'm going to mm-hmm. show up the, looking like a woman and y'all going to have to just focus <laughs> on Jesus or Allah or whatever to get you through this poetry reading because I want to be my full woman self and be yes. beautiful and feel pretty uh, and still be a revolutionary. I remember being at a, at a uh, Black American Rock, actually, I was hosting and I said, you know, I may not have my head wrap on, but I work in the prisons. What do you do? You know? And so like mm-hmm. fighting against that idea of what what it's supposed to look like for everybody to make, what makes people feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't make people anything. And, and I, because I know, I know Yasin Bey. I know Most deaf, and I knew Don and I know Dante. And, and I know that, um, you know, being in the public eye is not easy for him. It's not easy to get scrutiny. I remember a sister was mad because of Big Booty. What's the song? Big Booty.
0: Miss, Miss Fat Miss
1: Big Booty. Miss Fat Booty. This girl was all mad. Yeah. Great record. And I was like, I said, but I know him. He liked fat booties. So why was <laughs> <you know>? she? <laughs> I was like, I was like What's, you know, I don't get that. Who like, what do you it? mean? Like, and she was mad because, but she was she was holding him to his faith though, right? She, was a Muslim mm. man. He shouldn't be talking mm. that way. And I was like, you know, it's just really unfair um, when people are trying to be close to God in their way. It's such a private praying five times yes. a day. Yes. Being close to God has nothing to do with anybody else. It's Mm -hmm. not for your it's not for your entertainment. Has nothing to do Mm -hmm. with someone's life as an artist. That's what you do when you're quiet. That's when you do Mm when you when you tune in it all out. And so anyone trying Mm -hmm. to reach that space. Um, she be just respected in that way. Uh, and But I, perfection is ridiculous. Um, I'm certainly not one for perfection. And I have imp- imperfect male and female friends. And so, right. um, but he's one of my favorite people. And so I wrote for him Mine at too. times. Yeah. And I've had, to, I've defended him uh, many times. People will make comments even about his personal life where I thought it was completely out of line. You know, and I'm like, unless you know people and know their business and know what they're doing for their children, unless you really know that, then you should shut the fuck up. Shut the because, fuck man, up. You, uh, right. Yeah, man, because it's it's not it's really unf- it's very everyone I got my own situation with my with my you know, I have two ex-husbands, right? Um mm. and but my relationship with them and my and my children that were a result of those marriages has nothing to do with any of my art or any of my like y'all are not a part of it. And judging people Mm -hmm. based on like what perception like people have kids i don't don't know any of his children to be hungry like i don't know any of his personal business but i know nobody's homeless in the street you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like there's people that i know that like got kids that got money that their kids are hungry or you know what i mean they're the baby mama is really struggling so i don't Mm -hmm. know that but when people go out of their way to just yeah to judge people with not really even knowing they shit all the way it it bothers me you know because it's it's yeah. hard. it's hard to build relationships and have marriages and have children and then be in the public eye and people I mean the, I mean I got accused of having sex with almost every man I stand next to in a picture at one right. point um and so. And it was deep. It's like, you know, that's just, I'm friends with so many men. Like that's, I have more male friends than I have female friends because I'm just that cool motherfucker. Like, I don't know. I just, (laughs) yeah. And yeah. And I stay friends with people by like actually not having sex with my friends. It's like, has helped me maintain very strong relationships with my black male friends. And, um, And I appreciate and love them and they're not perfect, (laughs) (laughs) and so there's that.
2: Can you uh, tell us about your foundation and your work with the Jessica Care Moore Foundation?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a literacy-driven foundation that I founded because of the things I was saying about schools. I would go inside schools and I would see that girls didn't know who Alice Walker were. They never heard of Maya Angelou. They didn't know poetry looked like them, and so um, I actually do that foundation through my son, king so king has a, a thing called the 12 and under super cool poetry open mic where he gets um together pe- kids 12 and under he's 13 now so he's outgrown his own program and wow. uh, we won a grant and i'm the jessica more foundation and is the you know i facilitate the grant for him but basically we get we do huge open mic and we go to like the Motown museum or to the science center and we get kids 12 and under i do all these workshops with young people and then my son hosts the open mic and so what i like to see with that foundation more of is really helping to build curriculum inside Detroit, New York, Seattle, Chicago, national de- public school systems. We need some so LA we help. We need some LA help. You know what I mean? Yeah, because we shouldn't have to re- keep on redoing it. And I can't be mm-hmm. everywhere. So I need to, we need to build curriculum. And so I think that's the future of the foundation is that and, um, and building more voices for youth.
0: Yes. Um, in 2019, um, you staged an Afrofuturistic core poem that oh, was set, yes you did, to Detroit techno music. You told me a lot about this. I didn't get to see it. It was at the Charles it's, M. Wright Museum? Charles H. Wright, yep. H. Wright. Now, um, tell me about why you chose to do mm. that and connect that to mm. the importance of Detroit techno.
1: It's, yeah, but it's, it's all about the right now. It's so deep because the mantra for Salt City, the techno choreo poem, is we the ones they couldn't kill. And so it's mm. an Afrofuturistic techno choreo poem. Choreo poem, if people don't know, is poetry and dance. And Itozaki Shange, and um, that generation coined that phrase choreo poem, and, which was for color girls. And Itozaki, of course, one of my personal heroes. And so
0: um, mm. I wanted to yes. write a
1: choreo poem. And I wanted to write it in the future though. I wanted to like, for for Color Girls was in that moment. I wanted to write about black people in 3071. I wanted to be able to imagine us in the future. And so um, Salt City is based on a salt mine, a city beneath the city, which is Detroit to me. Because to me, Detroit is like the heartbeat of all movements, but we're just the undercurrent uh, that pushes Mm -hmm. other movements along. And techno is black, right? y'all guess what techno is black and so (laughs) people don't know that techno is black and techno was created by my friends right that right up the street my bank's and um, Mm -hmm. Juan Atkins and Derek Sanderson and all these incredible, um, Kevin Sanderson, I'm sorry, Derek May and um, Jeff Mills and um, Eddie Foulkes. And there's, I mean, there's countless pioneers in this work, um, but they're brothers. They're like like boots on the ground type brothers too. They're not like, they're like black men, straw black men who created this music. And I I grew up listening to it and I wanted to tell the story of a, a black girl named Salt Who's born into the salt vine who goes to 3071 travels to this electric forest and um, can't find her people in the future so she has to figure out how to go back home to fix things so that mm. we don't die off and so it's a very heavy piece about colonization and about what's happening to our people about our people being killed about um, indigenous culture being written off and uh, it's about indigenous genocide um, but it's just set in 3071 in the future, and it's beautiful, but it's, it's techno the whole way through. So it's a 90-minute piece with a very short, short break. We don't have an intermission, we have a dance break. We make the audience dance uh, to, to house and techno, and so it's it's a killer show, and it's aesthetically gorgeous. Aku Kodogo directed and choreographed this. She's the woman in yellow from Pakella Girls, so there's history connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working her, with her on the piece for a long time, and Marlise Mar- 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 Yerby came in from Rent and co-directed and choreographed with her for the Detroit premiere, and, It's an excellent piece that I, I God willing, will see it um, in New York and in Berlin and other places soon. Mm -hmm. So techno is a black culture, right? And people don't know that. People think of Europe when they think of techno music. But it Mm -hmm. truly is a black thing that was created in my city. And so one of the The white version is called EDM.
0: I I can't stand EDM.
1: (laughs) Really? I can't do
0: EDM. I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think of Miami. Well, well, when techno, I hear techno. Has,
1: techno has the soul, he like, doesn't. Jeff Mills music, he doesn't. Mike Banks. Right. You can hear. You can hear the church. You can hear gospel. You can hear the horn. Mm-hmm. You can hear. The, you can hear. The, it's something in it that makes you go. It's different. <laughs> That's. I can't just do the bang 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 for no reason. I can't do that. And so. Bang 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 bang. Rest <laughs> in peace to, to John Witherspoon. Rest in peace. Yes, his wife <laughs> I know his wife. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, so yeah. That, so I'm busy doing that kind of work. Um, just in my imagination here in Detroit, like writing about a salt mine in 3071.
0: Speaking of the future. Yes. Shout out to my man, King Moore.
1: Okay. That is such a special, special,
0: oh, he, special guy right there. And, I love uh, him.
1: He, he's coming he he down son. into Detroit School of the Arts on a piano audition. I'm so proud of him.
0: He's my son. So he played piano too? That's how he got into the school he's going to. play. Yeah, he's going to play okay. for you when we're done. What, yeah. oh, what do wow. he not do? Like the last time I seen him, he was doing magic tricks.
1: Magic. Oh, wow. he was,
0: we were going, He's we were walking around Jamaica and he was he was going up to people's tables in the restaurant like, hey, wanna see a magic trick? And would do a magic trick it. that would blow their mind. Like not real just like a mind. you know, not just like a, a amateur trick, like a real no. So good. He's really oh my good goodness. at
1: everything, you know. I is really, your son does, a Libra? He, he, hockey. No, he's he's a, he's a he's a cocky. He's a Virgo. Oh, I didn't say cocky.
0: Okay. I said I said hockey. He plays hockey. Oh, uh, hockey!
1: Oh yeah! Oh, <laughs> that, oh yeah! He's cocky. He's a oh, he's, he's a black, black guy hockey. from Detroit. He
0: played, <laughs> He's he a plays black
1: hockey, hockey player, and actually, he's featured yeah. in the National Hockey League on the Red Wings. Wow. Featured him in this beautiful documentary, I'm um, talking about black young youth hockey and black players. So he's one of like the spokespersons for youth hockey um, in black rinks in detroit which is something really dope he's been on the ice since he was six and it's his favorite sport he plays other sports baseball and soccer but i i play ball i was like y'all don't want to put no ball i'm trying to get it to put that <laughs> right. with he's like he he, he, like, he also makes beats
0: he also makes beats he makes and his beats, beats are very good yes. yeah the thing that impresses me most is is that he published his own book wow and so i feel like he's like that's the 2.0 part of you so tell me yeah. about king's book and your relationship with king oh. A
1: piece of a poem, you know, his beautiful book, he he was start. I started reading his journal entries when he was seven. And that's what made me pay attention to him. So it wasn't just that I was like, oh, you're my son, you have to be a poet. I started reading this stuff. And I was like, "King, hey, this is really good. And I just kind of encouraged him. And then he was eight, and he was writing even more. And then he would come out to my readings, like how your kids might come to your shows. And I was like, King, come out. And um, you know, you want to read a poem for the audience? So he would be opening up for me, like at like, at eight years old and nine years old, he was like, "This is cool, mommy. You know, doing the poetry for your friends and in front of audiences. Adults really. He he was writing about heavy stuff. He's writing about death. He's writing about um, what's happening with. Uh, he wrote about Mike Brown. He was writing about very deep subject matters. Um, about." He's really different from me, too. So he's not as rowdy as I am. Again, I told you he's Gandhi. He's very peace, peace and love with you. But he's attacking very, very serious subjects at a very young age. And, um, and I was like, well, King, what do you feel about putting together a book? And he said, absolutely. And he was like, but I don't want to read poems in front of grown-ups. And I was like, mm. well, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I want to create something that puts me in front of kids. And so... What's deep is his poems are kind of heavy for kids. Uh, as you, I mean, I know you know this, but he's open for Dave Chappelle twice. Like mm-hmm. he did one show with Dave and he was so good. I remember Stan Latham was there watching him like this kid just mm-hmm. walks up like, you want to hear a poem in front of like, three thousand thousand people. Like, I don't think he even realized <laughs> what he right. was doing uh, at that time. And then he was so young. I just, you know, Dave, I was like, where the headphones? Because he couldn't listen to Dave's show. But um, he was so good <laughs> that Dave was like, you know, have him do it. He's like, he's like, do you want Better to Better not a bring thing? your kids.
0: Like, <laughs> no, 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 no. You know, he's a little
1: older now, so I've let him kind of watch some right. of the stand-ups uh, and get his own opinion. Nick. He has his own opinion about everything. So, yeah, just a natural poet and writer. I think it's going to turn into songwriting. He's as, not as interested mm-hmm. in poetry as he is in music. So his graduation gift from eighth grade is he's going to get a MacBook Pro. He's going to get, uh, well, we're debating, Ableton, Logic, something he wants for the loose. We're going to figure out how to get a music software. Ableton, you got to tell him that. Okay, you tell him Ableton. Mm-hmm. And so, get him some music software, and then we'll see what happens. He was killing GarageBand. He was making great beats. He's rocked some parties. <laughs> Actually, he's done DJ sets at the Electronic music um, electronic Backpack Festival, whatever. He did a whole half-hour set. So, wow. you know, uh, yeah, but piano is the instrument that he's interested in the most. And so, yeah, Motherhood is like a really... Fantastic thing! It's been like a journey, and I, my son Omari mm-hmm. Jazz. I want to just shout Omari out because he's an amazing yes. musician, amazing music producer.
0: He's his doing great work. Actually,
1: doing great work. He took all the money from his um, proceeds of his album Dream Child and gave it to Black um, women or Black trans organizations who are fighting for Black Lives Matter. And so, I mean, he doesn't have. He's twenty five. He needs all that money now. I got, now I got to send him mm-hmm. more money. So y'all go get Dream Child. It's on Band. Right. What is it? Bandcamp or whatever. Bandcamp. It's
0: called. Mm-hmm. I'm
1: so horrible. Amari Jazz has, Dream know? Child on Bandcamp. Please, <throat> he's, he's doing great, great work. I'm proud of him, and so, um, and so that's you know King is very similar, um, but um, but very he's he's an interesting cat. I'm I'm interested in what's going to happen because he'd be a great lawyer <laughs> with all the music. He's a really good debater and he does a yes, lot of he research. He's a Virgo and he's very smart. But yeah, he'll play piano for you a little later. But um, I'm proud of him. Yeah, motherhood has not been. You know, it wasn't what I planned. I was married. You know, I didn't plan on raising him on my own. Um, Interesting. Hold on, Jessica. I
0: know you. Hold on. I know you. You was talking about, I want a baby from the day I met you.
1: Oh, I wanted the baby, but, I, you know, the husband part is, I, wish, I wanted okay, okay, more babies, okay, okay. to be honest. Yeah, so yeah. I ended up dating dads. I like dating dads because I like men who have children, you know. <laughs> when I date men that don't have dads, it's just weird, you know, that I can't. So dads are sexy, and, I mean, dads who take care of their kids are sexy, let's just say that. Yes. So I have dads who are, like, good fathers, I roll with y'all, you know what I'm saying? That's like, you're my type. Mm-hmm. And I've had stepchildren, and children I've helped raise and influence uh, that I didn't make, and... I didn't expect to do it by myself. And I'm, I'm a full-time working artist. And so that's why I live in this beautiful city of Detroit, because my mother is here. So shout out to my mother and to my family here, because I came home because I, my uh, marriage was failing, my second marriage, and I had to figure out a way to make a living and travel the way I have to to make money. And still take care of my son and so it's been a beautiful journey but the the struggle with him's personality i call him light skin tupac and my son is like <laughs> a beautiful beautiful like he said spirit right he's not a troublemaker right. but he's also not a slave like he mm-hmm. is absolutely free and i raised him to be free and these schools don't like free black boys and he said to me once he said is this a prison or a school He's like, why do I have to raise my hand? If I have to go to the bathroom, He said, like, going to the bathroom is a natural thing that everyone must do. If I have to go to the bathroom, I should be able to say, I'm going to the bathroom. Why do I have to ask permission to go pee? You know, and so it's like, this is a 12, he was 12 years old, asking me these very, very sensible questions. And then you realize that some white teachers don't like the one, when black boys start looking like black men, they don't like them anymore, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. they feel threatened by them. And so... My son has felt this, and I've had to fight with him. And I, I, it's this, this thing called the 1%, I, like the 1%. So in, in private school, you got to get an 83 to get a B. So my son will have an 82, and like all his work is turned in. So I'll, in, I'll inbox the teacher, like, what's he got to do for the 1%? I said, because he got an 82, he ain't got no missing assignments. I was like, because the white boys get the 1%. Because
0: mm-hmm. they could
1: just say, on effort, I can give him the 1%. You know what I'm saying? But I gotta, as a black mom, take time out of my schedule and I gotta pay that much attention. And I pay that much attention Amen. to the 1%. I'm gonna need you to give my son the 1% so he can get his B. Cause we walk yes. we're on a roll. And I have to fight like that at nonstop. And I'm exhausted from it. But I do that because they would just, that's what they do to our, our boys. That's what they do to our girls. And that's the extra work you have to do as black with being a black mother. That's the difference between being a white parent in this country, and being a black parent, that I gotta fight for that little 1% to get my son the gray he absolutely deserves anyway. So, but King is a joy, and I, he's I, whatever he ends up doing, he'll be fine. And um, I just pray the world gets better Um, so he doesn't have to come and fix it. <laughs> I think he's gonna <laughs> fix it. <laughs>
0: Word up. Um, well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, <laughs> I, I want you to, to give it up for Jessica. Care more. It's so beautiful. I love doing I this love with you. you. Thank you this so much. This is amazing you,
2: interview. Thank you so much. Thank
1: yes, you. Thank I you. hope so. We gonna snap for you we like we in
0: Brooklyn. Brooklyn Moon Cafe. Let's like act <laughs> like, oh, like we in the. Oh, Detroit. you want the class. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right.
1: that. I don't do that, shit? that. That's what I'm not that hippie. I'm like hippie with a gun. <laughs> so
0: balance. Word up, Jessica. <laughs> thank uh, you. Thank you.